Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to another episode of Talking Fast, a Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Alexis. And we're two longtime fans of the show, and we're excited to rewatch and recap it along the way. Okay, hello. Today we are excited to take a stroll down memory lane and look back at the first half of season one and our first couple months of podcasting. And before we get into it, don't forget to rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And send us your gazebo moments for the for, uh, the first season to TalkingFastPodcast at gmail.com. And follow us on Instagram at TalkingFastPodcast. Yeah. And we have a bit of a quick announcement to make before we get into our reflections. We have decided for the remainder of our recapping of season one, we will be revamping our podcast episode structure a little bit. You'll see what that looks like when we cover the next episode, but we encourage you to send us any thoughts you have via email or Instagram about how you like listening to our episodes. Cool. I'm excited to reflect a little bit. We're both, uh, you know, writing teachers and we often make our students reflect um, sometimes for worthy causes and sometimes because we can't think of anything else to do. (laughs) So... (laughs) oh and if they're listening it's for that first reason (laughs) oh yeah i gotta build that meta awareness as they say right (laughs) uh and i'm i'm really particularly glad we're doing this because podcasting so far has made me aware of how awful my memory Mm -hmm. is (laughs) so going back to like synthesize all of the ideas we've expressed throughout the episodes I think is going to be beneficial and hopefully will help me actually remember some of my thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I I've already noticed that rewatching it slowly is making me just realize a lot that I hadn't before. Um I think usually when I do my mm-hmm. annual Gilmore Girls rewatch, I'm just like watching three or four episodes in the evening after I've done all my work for the day and half the time I'm also on my phone or like eating or Mm -hmm. doing things. So this is a much more detailed way to be looking at things anyways. This is the most engaged viewing experience I've had in a long time because I forced myself to just sit and I'm taking notes obviously, but I can't, I don't eat, I'm not on my phone. And it's like every other single show I watch, I inevitably eat something or check my phone at least Mm -hmm. a couple times, you know? So this has been a good divergence from my regular viewing habits. Um, And it has been full of surprises. What, I think that's a good place to start. Has there been a major storyline or event so far that surprised you? I don't know about necessarily a storyline, but I think I've been really surprised by how little we're getting of some of the background characters that I just kind of like in my memory Mm -hmm. think of as always being there 
Um, especially mm-hmm. Luke. We've we've barely gotten a full scene with him until last episode, really. Um, he'd just been, like, mm-hmm. a side character with some quippy comebacks and stuff. But um, mm-hmm. I always remember him as being, like, a central part of each episode, and he definitely has not been. And same with Suki and Lane. They just... Have, we just haven't seen them much, and I—I I mean, we're getting acquainted with the main characters, of course, but mm-hmm. I, ha- I did not remember that it took us that long to get into these people. Yeah, in the reverse, there's someone who's been around more than I remember, and that is yeah. Tristan. I—I <laughs> th- I remembered him being in one or two episodes, and then like coming back maybe a season later for another one or two, and. I also don't remember hating him as much, and I'm not sure if that's me paying attention more or me as a bit at a different point in my life being far more critical and not really accepting the narrative of, like, the pushy hot guy. I'm, like, rejecting that completely this time around. Yeah, I I agree. I, I think I've said it before, but I'm often, like, colored in my view of Tristan because I really like the Hilary Duff Cinderella story movie mm-hmm. as like a kind of you know teenage rom-com and he plays of course the love interest who does who isn't that great but is much better than Tristan so I always like kind of forget how terrible Tristan is and like he was also basically like every other like characters in every other teen show at the time um which is just terrible <laughs> To, like, know that that was right. our main main idea of, like, the enemies to lovers trope, which we see now in, like, YA literature, but usually in a slightly different way. Right. I, I've seen successful enemies to lovers storylines before, and I think it relies on the enemy not coming from a source of, like, sexism mm-hmm. or aggression, you know? <laughs> it's something else. Uh, like... We almost see that with Paris and Rory, enemies to, like, friends throughout the story. Unless you want to ship them, which is totally fine. And I'm sure there's something you could do there with enemies to lovers for them. But the source of the antagonism is not based on something more... Uh, it's just based on something different, usually, I would think. Yeah, there's usually, like, a background. Like, I hate you because you represent this that did something bad to me not like the actual person mm-hmm. is the bad one <laughs> but Tristan right. here is actually t- just terrible in every way <laughs> mm-hmm. it'd probably be like a Gryffindor and Slytherin mm-hmm. right <laughs> something like that though as, as a Slytherin I have to say JK Rowling did us really dirty she just didn't portray the good traits of Slytherins she only highlighted the bad mm-hmm. ones <laughs> yeah and as a hybrid like Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw. I think the houses were <laughs> too... <laughs> I'm torn between them, mm-hmm. you know? I I don't respond to the classification system, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. We could go in a whole a whole tangent about Harry Potter house <laughs> systems. I have many thoughts. Right. But <laughs> so, yeah, to return to some of the, like, the major moments, uh, the one thing that surprised me was that we have had several moments that I distinctly remember as sort of iconic scenes. Um, the 
three that really jump out to me are the shoplifting of the cornstarch, <laughs> the I smell snow line, and Richard being in the hospital as well. So those are three very different <laughs> kinds of moments. But it makes me wonder, like, what else is there to be in the show at this point in terms of iconic scenes? And I'm sure there are many more. But I'm like, wow, they actually had a lot of uh, things I remember early on. Yeah, that's true. I'm like part of me is wondering what happens for the rest of the season because it feels like we've already gotten Mm -hmm. all these major moments like (laughs) the first kiss and for Dean and Rory and um the gnome kicking and stuff like that (laughs) so what what is left Mm -hmm. to happen but I'm sure we'll be surprised for each episode but yeah I, I agree I think those are the most iconic from this first half the I smell snow something ice I say every year (laughs) and the cornstarch shoplifting that's a in in our memories as much as it's on Rory's bedstand or bedside table (laughs) as a memento right exactly and I think and it's referenced really clearly in the revival as well so I think that's another reason those are so stuck in my memory maybe too yeah what are the, some of the things that we've, like, talked about as major kind of through lines for the first, what is it, 11, 10 episodes of the season? Like, some of the major storylines that we've seen developing um, or character mm-hmm. arcs that we've seen coming? Yeah, I would say the two parallel love stories so far, we have... Dean and Rory and Lorelai and Max, um, which are unfolding in fairly expected ways. Um, but to highlight a more surprising unfolding character arc, well, relationship has been Richard and Rory for me, uh, which I mean, I remembered them being close, but I didn't remember it developing in the way that it did, which was like starting out from a place of not knowing each other. I always thought of them as knowing each other. So that's been a really um, rewarding storyline to see grow so far. I agree. I definitely noted that her like bonding with both of the grandparents, I think has been Mm -hmm. something that's really strong so far. And especially when juxtaposed against Lorelai's like, projection of her childhood discontents onto Rory and um, her reaction (laughs) oftentimes like jealousy in a way of Rory's relationship with Richard and Emily and I think that we've seen Mm -hmm. yeah we've seen that have some high points and some low points um, so far and of course nothing is resolved by any means at this point even though we have just had our very emotional hospital scene Mm -hmm. which brought some things kind of up to the surface but nothing was talked about yeah i was actually reading an article earlier called why gilmore girls indoors i can link to that but um they describe amy sherman palladino's motto as like making the big small and making the small big and then she also believed in like the richness of the mundane uh which I feel like describes a lot of these early scenes that the episodes do like treasure or value the mundane or just the everyday details of life and then 
um, you will occasionally get like a kind of classic big moment, which I feel like we had in the hospital scenes of last episode. Um, But I think that describes like a lot of what I appreciate when I'm watching the show and also like how it has a kind of like a rewarding narrative structure that like kind of creeps up on you and surprises you (laughs) in scenes like episode 10. Yeah, it it feels more like real life possibly than Mm -hmm. some other shows that like go on just the big moments and that's everything's made more dramatic whereas yeah if, Mm -hmm. if we get to actually hang out with these characters in their small moments and like get to know them in that way like in that really awkward movie night with Dean, Lorelai, and Rory, um, then like mm-hmm. it's even more impactful when we see Lorelai like struggling to look at her father in a hospital bed than it would be if, if mm-hmm. everything we'd had so far was just like huge, huge moments in their lives. That's yeah. yeah I want to read that. That sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, I think. Of course, it would be appropriate to discuss our favorite characters so far from this first season. We started out in our very first trailer episode naming some of our favorites. Have those remained consistent for you, or have you been surprised by newcomer favorites as you've been recapping? I think they have remained mostly consistent, if I'm remembering our trailer episode well (laughs) enough. But I was thinking my favorite so far, obviously I love Lorelai. Um, she's a character like through all her many faults that's just very relate- relatable in a, in a way, even though I'm nothing mm-hmm. like her. But um, <laughs> but I also, mm-hmm. I think Suki and Jackson are still two of my favorite characters and seeing their relationship from the very beginning um, as co-workers basically although co-workers who understand each other in a way that nobody else does I think is really cool and I can't wait to see their story develop further um mm-hmm. we've also been kind of tracking Suki as far as my theoretical idea that she could represent or could be headcanoned as somebody on the autism spectrum and I feel like every mm-hmm. time that I, that she comes on to screen, I feel like there's just more evidence for that. So obviously that's that's not canon. People can take it or leave it. Um, and it's mm-hmm. it's it's just something that like I like to see in characters that we don't get representation of mm-hmm. autistic characters in most mainstream media. And I think that also not to get on too much of a tangent but that also leads to a lot of Mm -hmm. like misdiagnoses especially with women where people just don't understand all the different presentations and so I think that finding characteristics in characters who aren't canon who who don't like the creators didn't imagine them as autistic can really help to kind of destigmatize ideas about autism and also just make the characters that much more dynamic and I, I've mm-hmm. really enjoyed watching that with Suki and like thinking more about that because I hadn't really thought about it much before <laughs> mm-hmm. it was kind of a theory I came up on the spot as we were recording so I'm glad that it hasn't yeah. totally been dis- dismantled yet 
it's a magical moment of conversation, yeah. right? That to just produce a thought like that, that has like continued to make sense as you've continued watching. But um, I, yeah, I, I feel like I know less than you about this. So it's been interesting to learn as you've kind of been tracking it through the episodes. I think I totally follow your points about like this being not only great for representation but this sort of speculative like what would happen if we watched the show or analyze this character through this lens like what new meaning does it produce and of course it's speculative but as you're saying like it's been bringing like new understanding for you about Suki that I think other people could like under like I've understood her more in a, in a more nuanced way from hearing about it and considering it myself so I think it's really cool and I'm glad that it like came out of doing the podcast yeah I'm excited to see where it goes and we might mm-hmm. get to a point where it's just like okay I was totally wrong but <laughs> we also might not so we'll yeah. see yeah, and it's like, it's a show with, what, seven seasons, yeah. <laughs> so we can't always expect the characterization to be, like, stasis, you know, throughout the whole show, so we'll see where it goes. Maybe we'll get a new theory mm-hmm. later on. <laughs> uh, yeah, but back to your point about Lorelai being a favorite character, and on the heels of last episode, too, where we were describing her acting, another point brought up in that article I mentioned. I feel like I'm just repeating it all because I just read it, but um, they said something I hadn't thought about before, which is that the show had almost no, like, nominations at all. And they were like, it was such a shame that Lauren Graham in particular never even had, like, Emmy or Golden Globe nominations. And I think we could extend that to multiple other characters in the show. Uh, I mean, actors, like... They definitely deserve nominations, if not, like, winning the awards. And, I mean, the writing, too, like, uh, it just, it kind of blows my mind to think about. Like, I feel like if Gilmore Girls was airing now, it it would receive nominations. And not the revival version, but, like, this show in its form. Yeah. Like, it's so good. Yeah, we don't, there aren't other scripts out like that. I mean, I've just been rewatching mm-hmm. Shit's Creek, and that's something that I feel like is kind of along the similar Mm -hmm. um, genre lines like it really is character based and it relies a lot on the actors like bringing their own interpretation Um, and I yeah I think that Lauren Graham like she she deserves she she deserves some accolades especially because I still can't like can't stop thinking about how I like sobbed at that scene where she didn't say a word <laughs> and it was mm-hmm. just like so heartfelt and, sh- and it's like that's even at the beginning of the series like what about as we move on yeah. and she basically carries the whole show yeah exactly what were some of your favorite characters I don't remember exactly who you said in our trailer yeah, that would have been good to look up, right? <laughs> I I think mine have remained consistent as well. So I know I did mention Emily and Lane as two of my favorite characters. I I would describe them as like my problematic fave and my non-problematic fave. Like Emily is definitely, she has her issues. I think part of what makes her an enjoyable character to me is that I can form so many of my critiques at her in a way (laughs) but while also just I have such a love for her wit and her sarcasm 
and how so many of the very like emotionally driven scenes do involve her and her relationship with Lorelai in particular so she's always kind of there when a fight is going on and it's very momentous but Lane is just perfect in every way as far as I'm considered and I really love the friendship between her and Rory. I I think we've both expressed our admiration for the relationships built in the show that are not only based on like heterosexual love but many different kinds of love and bonds and Lane and Rory is like the main one that can be one of my favorites but uh, as far as a surprising favorite character this probably isn't a surprise to any like because many of my gazebo moments have been about him but Luke like I think as you said like I always just remembered Luke like always being there always being like a central figure that I was kind of like take relief for to be honest um I don't maybe I'm like Lorelai you know he's just always been there so reliable (laughs) and I just never noticed him until now uh but he's so like gruff yet sweet thoughtful and caring um and like the ethical activist as well like he's it's just been uh really really I've really been enjoying any of the scenes Luke has been in so far and I'm looking forward to as he becomes that more central part of the show like we know will happen (laughs) yeah yeah I agree I like never really caught all of his different lines about like golf courses being a blight on humanity or the environment i don't remember and all of that like i do remember that he <laughs> always criticized their eating habits because they just ate junk food <laughs> all the time but i didn't remember that mm-hmm. there was also so much else that he was like passionate about and i almost feel like it's kind of lost a bit later in the season mm-hmm. or the series um but i do yeah i've loved seeing that so far all more in the day yeah. I could see how that could happen, though, Um, like to kind of pigeonhole him into a certain kind of type, maybe for the convenience of once they start to get a lot more storylines going on, which will be unfortunate. Yeah, we'll see, though. We will see. Yeah, (laughs) I think I've been surprised and this might be kind of a controversial opinion, but I am not a huge Rory fan when I think about this series overall. But I've been really mm-hmm. surprised rewatching it how much I really like her, especially as like a representation of a sixteen year old, um, like mm-hmm. bookish person. And I I think I really do like her in these first early seasons, which kind of makes the later seasons a little bit more disappointing mm-hmm. um, when I stop relating to her very much. But yeah, I've mm-hmm. liked how she's She's definitely got some flaws and, like, the people-pleasing aspect that we've talked about a bit, but she also, like, very clearly stands up for herself and is a caring person. Like, she listens to Lane and isn't offended when Lane points out her flaws, (laughs) which I think is a hard Mm -hmm. thing to do. And she's very accepting, like, she's very willing to meet new people and befriend her grandparents despite what her mother has said about them (laughs) so yeah (laughs) I've just been kind of surprised about how much I like her yeah I I think a lot of the Rory hate this is my hypothesis at least that I haven't really thought about until you said this is that she does start out as 
likable and relatable for like a lot of viewers like uh, like younger bookish viewers like us um and, or as we were at one point in our lives <laughs> and so when you like when you start to identify with the character you're gonna have a far more like once you once she starts to do things that are more flawed or unlikable, then it's like a harsh like reaction because you're like, oh, I didn't, I no longer want to associate with this character because I'm not totally okay with all the things that she's doing. When it's like, really, it's just a depiction of a character's arc, you know? Like, she goes through these things. It doesn't. I don't know. Yeah, I. But I'm just thinking like, oh, maybe so many fans are uncomfortable with how her story turns out because it ends up exploring certain things that maybe they didn't expect or like, well, I don't want to be like cheating with yeah. Dean. That's not something I identify mm-hmm. with, but it's like, well, it's a it's a deep storyline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like started out with her character having a similar character arc to many of our lives <laughs> and then mm-hmm. it deviated and we yeah, our mm-hmm. our lives went in a different direction than hers did, and it became hard to relate. Yeah. But we will <clears throat> enjoy her while we can. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We interrupt this podcast with a message from our sponsor. Here in Cozy Stars Hollow, we are on the doorstep to the wide world of cuisine. But no, it doesn't require a trip to New York City or even Hartford. Just come on over to Owl's Pancake World to get a taste of the world. While we do indeed have pancakes and other breakfast foods, our specialty lies elsewhere. Have you been craving a delicious curry or perhaps some fresh caught clams? Believe it or not, Owl's has just the menu for you in our little landlocked town. And right now, we have an offer just for listeners of Talking Fast. So come on in and have a seat at Owl's Pancake World. Mention the podcast, Talking Fast, to your server, and you'll receive a 25% coupon for next week's sushi night. Remember, just mention Talking Fast to your server for a coupon for sushi night. That's Talking Fast for 25% off sushi made fresh from the freezer at Owl's Pancake World. Owl's Pancake World. Don't believe the bad reviews. And speaking of enjoying, I think it would be fun to highlight our favorite episodes so far, too, as a kind of gazebo moment of, like, a gazebo episode, in a way. Uh, Do you have, like, one or multiple favorite episodes that we've seen so far? Yeah, I think that episode eight, which was the... um was it love and war and snow i think Mm -hmm. that is my favorite i think it might be my favorite from all of season one although we'll have to see how much i remember the rest of the season but Mm -hmm. i i love that i'm a a winter person so i relate with lorelei in that i feel like there's just so much that happens that really progresses the stories for all the characters we get our first final or Finally, our first date with Max Medina. We get the pizza scene with Richard and Emily. Blaine touches a random guy's hair. I mean, there's just so much in that episode. Um, And it's also, at the same time, just so cozy and quintessentially stars hollow to me that 
yeah i i think that's my favorite episode so far what about you yeah my favorite episode i would say episode eight that you mentioned is in my top three and i would say another in the top three is the episode three kill me now which has like the golf outing with richard and rory uh but my all-time favorite so far is episode 10 forgiveness and stuff for a lot of like I won't go into it too much because that was just last week's episode (laughs) you know but I felt really called to the very like character and relationship driven like emotional nuance and the Luke and Lorelai chemistry and bonding um and the great the acting as well which should have been nominated (laughs) uh by like by uh Lauren Graham in particular and even um Emily too had that really well acted emotional scene mm-hmm. with Richard too. So um I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed to like cry. I like to have a good cry. Yeah. So <laughs> I could be biased. I'm thinking with pathos here. Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't that how we react to most <laughs> most TV shows? I did mm-hmm. just yeah. <laughs> finish the last episode of Shit's Creek the other day and I sobbed for the entire time. So that's how we like things yeah I remember being younger and watching vampire diaries and I would just sob constantly because characters died really often and it's that thing about like feeling sad for some someone else or for like a fictional character it's it like you get to feel the emotion but it's also not tied to your own mm-hmm. personal life I think it can be a, like a weirdly good outlet yeah. you know <laughs> yeah you like reading a good book that makes you cry when somebody dies like you still feel mm-hmm. that for a little while but then it's like compartmentalized and yeah it doesn't affect your actual life beyond yeah. the memory of the book which is something that is priceless <laughs> as an English major <laughs> priceless Uh, Speaking of being English majors, something else we've been tracking has been pop culture references. Not only literary, but there are so many. Have you had a most notable illusion from the show that you liked? Yeah, I'm completely surprised by it a lot of the time. Sometimes I'm also Mm -hmm. surprised at how dated some of the references feel. Um, But Mm -hmm. I think... The ones that have stood out to me the most have been, obviously, things that I've also, like, read or watched, which isn't much looking back at all the references they make. Like, I'm uncultured (laughs) compared to them. No. (laughs) Just a different kind of cultured. (laughs) But I think um, I really liked the references that Mr. Medina makes with all of his books, Mm. and we got to Mm -hmm. talk. I think we both from his references have gotten to talk about some of like our books in our wheelhouses which is always fun Mm -hmm. um i know that at some point at some point in the the whole uh series they talk about beowulf and when that day comes just prepare yourself yeah you can have like 30 (laughs) minutes (laughs) we haven't quite had anything like exactly in my my area of study but like, when we, I got to talk about Marlowe for a while, I really liked that. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I've realized, again, in another way that I'm uncultured, is at this period in time, I literally could not name most of the music that they're talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when Lane is referencing, like, some... 
classic rock and stuff like that, things from like the 70s and 80s I recognize, but any of the pop music from the 90s or early 2000s, I just, maybe I recognize the name, but I couldn't tell you a song from them to save my life. Mm -hmm. So that's been um, embarrassing in a way. What have been some of your favorite uh, pop culture or least favorite well i find it i find it uh interesting that you bring up max medina and all of his references because i'm just remembering we went like pretty hard on him (laughs) at the start and we were just like his curriculum Mm -hmm. you know and we're like is it gonna be all these like late great white men and whatnot but uh he we did just have him i just realized he was grading a paper on emily dickinson Mm -hmm. was one of my like um things I had noticed so I think you're right like he has actually had more expansive illusions than or sorry not illusions but he's been teaching more expansively than we suspected at first so I want to give him credit for that (laughs) um and the my favorite reference and the most like uh productive one for me was the Edith Wharton reference because yeah it brought up a lot of like thoughts about taste for me as a way to read the show both like Lorelai's taste and Emily's taste uh but then also like I was writing a paper recently about Wharton and her depiction of the leisure class so it was on my mind and that was about you know the 19th into the 20th century that kind of leisure class but uh it's so interesting to think about Emily's world and like studying it under a similar kind of lens um and uh, it's just really fascinating to think about all of like the rules that govern her world and things like that it's very apropos for a kind of word analysis (laughs) i'm also interested to see how much i'm pretty sure we're coming up to the cotillion episode soon Mm. and i'm really interested to see how much like we can maybe track things that haven't changed from Warden's time or have changed minimally um, that have been Mm -hmm. kept like in the name of tradition but also have many other uh, undercurrents to them so yeah that'll be interesting Mm -hmm. to see and on the topic of pop culture I think this will be the last time I think I referenced this article (laughs) (laughs) but I wrote I wrote up this quote about the use of pop culture in Gilmore Girls because I found it really interesting uh they describe all of the illusions made in the show as like the joyous center of the show offering fans a utopian fantasy of familial love grounded in deep appreciation of cop rock so Mm -hmm. i think they mentioned cop rock just to describe like one kind of show but the idea that um all of these illusions and references are not only to like build up the language of the show but to also like ground and communicate the like love and connection between like Rory and Lorelai or Lorelai and Suki Rory and Lane um it's like a way to like speak their love and then it's also a way to uh, the article doesn't mention this, but I feel like create the difference too. Like I'm thinking about all the times Emily and Lorelai are talking and it's like neither of them understands each other. They don't have the similar grounding in like watching the same shows or listening to the same music. So I just thought I found that a really valuable way to think about 
like when you're talking about things, sometimes it seems like these are surface level conversations to talk about a show, but it's actually like, oh, it's grounded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's deeper than that. And then the whole like utopian fantasy of it is like, oh, that all of these people would understand all of these references. Uh, It's kind of magical to live in that fantasy, too. Yeah, that's true. It, like, builds on a whole bunch of potential shared experiences. (laughs) Like, the shared experience Mm -hmm. of everybody having seen this show or everybody having read Mm -hmm. Edith Wharton, which is, in the real world, a very rare experience. Yeah, I really like that. That sounds awesome. I I really like that interpretation. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, in terms of the fashion of the show, I don't have too many um, conclusive statements other than it's like, I feel like the the component of the show that dates it the most for me, <laughs> it really does communicate a distinct period of time. But my surprising favorite like fashion icon, besides Lorelai, has been Jackson. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Which has been fun. <laughs> I, I, I've i been really struck by, like, I mean, of course, in a show, you'll use, like, fashion to characterize or help characterize the characters. Mm-hmm. But I've been really interested to see how um, it's, like, created the two sides of Lorelai specifically. Mm-hmm. She's had, like, a very distinct, like, casual wear with her kind of graphic t-shirts and, like, band tees and low-rise jeans and all that stuff from the early 2000s Mm -hmm. but then she also has a very like distinct and professional work attire which I found really interesting to see like those two completely opposite sides of her it's almost like when in her work attire she's almost stepping into an Emily like fashion world of course, she would. She would mm-hmm. probably never say that, and she's um, <laughs> definitely fashionable in a different way than Emily is. But has like the same mm-hmm. sort of polishedness and everything. Um, so I found it, yeah, really interesting how they show both of her different, two different sides of her, um, just through the clothes that she's wearing. That's a really good point. And to think about, like, the the fashion or the styling of the character as a tool for the characterization, I think is a very productive one. And I wonder to think about, like, what does she wear to Friday night dinners? Yeah. That's something I might want to look at now. Is it, like, a hybrid between the two styles that she has going on? That's true. Um, I do remember we did get that one scene when she went to the parent teacher conference and met Mr. Medina for the first time where we said that she like mm-hmm. was blending her casual and professional wear with her B52 shirt and a blazer over mm-hmm. top. Um we made all sorts of different uh, metaphors as to how that <laughs> it's also implying that she's blending her different lives, but yeah, we mm-hmm. definitely should keep track of what she wears to a Friday night dinner cuz it's like it's not things she would wear to work necessarily, but it's also not mm-hmm. stuff that she would wear around Stars Hollow. So it's, yeah, it's a very different right. fashion. Yeah. I've also been interested in the two different worlds expressed through the the houses. That was something we noticed really early on uh, between Lorelai's house and then Emily's mm-hmm. house. Um, it's like, <laughs> so obvious maybe to notice, but... 
meaningful still to do so. Yeah. <laughs> and we've gotten a number of episodes now that make a point of showing that distinction. Like mm-hmm. the birthday parties episode, of course, but also yes. the Christmas mm-hmm. episode that we just talked about. Right. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's that's something to keep looking at. And, like, looking at Lorelai's room in her parents' house versus Rory's room. Yeah, and her room is, like, a a tomb, you know, like, preserved throughout time for something that's long gone. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, what about some of the... We've already kind of talked about this, but what are some of the critiques that you've seen as overarching and that we've kind of been tracking through season one? Um Mm -hmm. and do we expect them to continue or are some of them kind of wrapped up at this point yeah something I've been surprised by which I mentioned through discussion of Tristan earlier was it's been like all of these very pushy men Mm -hmm. (laughs) in this very toxic representation of like a heterosexual model of like dating and love that I'm very not cool with it's been bothering me a lot as I've watched um and as I mentioned in our trailer episode that I am like (laughs) I am team Logan Mm -hmm. this has me thinking quite a lot about um how I'm gonna feel honestly when Logan arrives I've I've always viewed him as problematic as well like I don't have you know rose-colored glasses on uh but I do feel like I may need to reevaluate when we get there um so we'll we'll see (laughs) yeah I think okay but I will as a caveat I think what is maybe different we'll see if this holds true when we get there is that I feel like the show is aware of Logan as this privileged pushy kind of guy and I don't think the show is aware or like condemns in any way some of the guys like Max or Dean for their pushiness like I don't think they treat it in this similar way. Whereas, like, Tristan and Logan, I do think the show is, like, working with the, like, oh, this guy is an asshole kind of trope a bit. I don't know. I might be talking in circles just because I'm worried I'm going to have to, like, rescind some favoritism on my part. <laughs> but it will be years from now, right? Yeah. I'll deal with it when the time comes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know I'm going to have to give some caveats to my adoration of Jess. Um, True. Who is is very problematic <laughs> from the very beginning, but also everybody loves him, so I feel justified. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I agree. I think we've definitely talked about yeah the the pushy men, and also like how how that just kind of encapsulates all of media, especially for teenagers at this point, and actually for adult mm-hmm. women as well. Like looking back on some of the like rom-coms from this period Mm -hmm. a lot of them have the same pattern with the men and the love interests and things um i've also been really interested in kind of tracking how lorelei projects her own dissatisfaction with her life onto rory um and we've Mm-hmm. I think we talked about it, especially in the first couple episodes, a lot when R- Lorelai was, like, trying to speak for Rory and not letting Rory mm-hmm. really, like, make her own choices um, or feel confident in her own choices. Um, and I think that's something that we'll continue to see. But I 
do... I feel like there's already been a lot of growth for that so far. And I, I am, you know, psychically predicting that <laughs> that will continue to change. But yeah, I think it's mm -hmm. been really interesting also to see how Lorelai's projected all of that onto her own relationship with Emily and has been unable to move past so many things. And Emily mm -hmm. has done the same thing. Dramatic relationships. Yeah, yeah it's been a huge part of these early on episodes and it's ironic to think that Emily does something very similar in projecting onto Lorelai at the very minimum like what she wants her life to be and whatnot mm -hmm. so uh it's a very complicated portrayal of relation like motherhood and daughterhood daughter that's not a word but <laughs> uh it's a really it's a really um central part of the show and it's a great one too i'm really i'm like consistently surprised at how little richard has to do with that relationship like he just he yeah he like doesn't always seem to know what's going on between the two of them um obviously he must have had a considerable amount of like impact on Lorelai as a child but she never seems quite mm -hmm. as angry at him as she is with Emily I, yeah I think that speaks a bit to like I don't like just the privilege of him as like the more distant father figure in a way like he doesn't have to bother with Lorelai because he relies on Emily to do it and in the same way like Lorelai is kind of doing the like blame the mom for everything and like not the dad it's a, a kind of a double standard but the way that the, re the relationship is operating kind of produces that, I think. Okay, I had one last question about what's coming next. Um, is there anything in particular that you, like, vaguely remember that happens in the rest of the season that you're looking forward to? Honestly, my memory is like <laughs> a blank slate. <laughs> I cannot tell you what happens in the rest of this season. I feel like anything could happen, honestly. Um, does Dean, like, do the whole car thing I, in season one? I think so. Yeah, I feel like that does happen because that definitely happens before Jess shows okay. up. Okay, so I'm looking forward to seeing that again. Yeah. I also, does Christopher show up in season one? Yeah, I think he might show up pretty soon. Okay. On his motorcycle. <laughs> I'm I'm excited to see that develop too. So the, I think those are the two things, and those are also the two first things that popped into my mind. So I'm gonna go with them because I can't remember anything else. <laughs> yeah, I didn't give you any preparation for this. So. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's an honest <laughs> answer. <laughs> I am also looking forward to Christopher showing up and like seeing that dynamic. Mm-hmm. And uh, along the same lines, I'm. I really like the um, Mr. Medina and Lorelai relationship mm. while it lasts. <laughs> so <laughs> I am in interested to see how that progresses um, and see what I don't remember. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen him since episode eight. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's true. It's weird. I mean, he definitely becomes more of a mainstay because they get engaged, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure we'll see more scenes of Luke looking forlorn as all of these different men come through Lorelai's life. Mm -hmm. 
Um, a second, oh, another, bleh. <laughs> a question I have for you is related to our Welcome to Stars Hollow segment. Um, and reflecting on the overall, like, cozy and nostalgic aesthetics of season one, have they been meeting your expectations? Do you still feel like, so, like, as we talked about, like, cozy and nostalgic when you watch, has there been a particular moment that you thought was really the epitome of our segment? Um, what are you thinking about? I think... Like the festive decorations in Stars Hollow mm-hmm. are like what would I what I would consider the epitome of welcomes to, to Stars Hollow because it really shows like a, a kind of collective um, mindset of all the people in Stars Hollow, mm-hmm. and we've we talked a little bit last week about how like obviously they're also kind of pushing like a Christian narrative onto the town and Mm -hmm. also pushing a problematic Thanksgiving narrative onto the town. Mm -hmm. But they still have this kind of community effort um, that we'll see many other times. And I feel like the, the seasonal decor and festivals are kind of like the epitome of that in my mind. Mm -hmm. And would really remind me of stars. Yeah. It's interesting to think of some of the welcome to stars hollow, um, like things that we point out as being both like the avenue for so many of our positive associations with the show but also some of them are quite in the logic of like the the whiteness of the show the class politics of the show and as you like Christian a bit too some of those other things are very like rolled up in some of those festivals and other things but um in general, for the just the aesthetic of the show, what has surprised me, um, or something I've enjoyed, is seeing it unfold into a very um, succinct kind of vibe. I guess we could say, like, I felt like it wasn't as together at the start, but as over time we'd see, like, oh, there's the first gazebo moment, there's the first town square, or the first festival, the first town hall meeting. It's been really. Um, like, I just want to jump for joy every time I see the first instance of something, you know, uh, what has been really fun to watch closely to mark those moments. Yeah. You know, one moment that we're really going to have to give some fanfare is the first time that Kirk is actually Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> it still hasn't happened yet. <laughs> I'm glad you've br- No, wait, Kirk has been Kirk. When was he Kirk? <laughs> it was, um... It was, um, like, he's been Kirk since, at the very least, um, he's, like, a new employee at the market, and he has that run-in with Miss Patty, and she's like, don't you know who I am? I'm Miss Patty. Was he Kirk then? Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh, I missed it. It is in episode five, Cinnamon's Wake. And Patty, yeah, yeah, Patty is at Ducey's Market, and Kirk has a name tag that said Kirk, and he says he's the new assistant manager, Uh, and him and Miss Patty have a bit of a run-in, and then they meet up later again at the wake, and Kirk apologizes, and Miss Patty forgives him at that point. Wow, I can't believe I missed that, and I also can't believe that somebody made Kirk is the assistant manager of Ducey's. <laughs> yeah. I think you I think news. you've subliminally known because we have talked about Kirk <laughs> in the episode. Yeah. 
He just sneaks in. Mm-hmm. He does, so which has been, I'm typical. glad we caught that. It felt like a big discovery that our podcast made. But I'm sure other people <laughs> did know, too. But yeah. watching closely, I never knew he was Mick. R.I.P. Yeah. to Mick. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Never to be seen again. <laughs> okay, cool. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about as we re- I just forgot the rest of that word. Um, Re- revisit revisit <laughs> first. Reflect. Episodes. Yeah, reflect. Retroactive, <laughs> retrospective. I know, a few different words could work. No, I think that was good. I feel like we collected a lot of big observations of the first half of the season. And I think we should do this again for the second half. And see if these things are pulled through or not. Or what is new and distinct about the second half of the season. But I'm really enjoying it so far, season one. So that's good. Because we spent a lot of time on this. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I've been enjoying podcasting as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like we are getting better each episode. And hopefully you all as our listeners appreciate that. And uh, (laughs) will stick around with us um, Mm -hmm. as we meet Christopher for the first time, Mm. um, see Mr. Medina and Lorelai fall more in love, Mm -hmm. and maybe even to the point where Alexis has to become embarrassed for her love of Logan. (laughs) I think I'm already (laughs) embarrassed, but let's just say even more so. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we'll get there. We'll see. (laughs) You'll have to be a long time listener for that, so we'll take (laughs) the journey together. Well, I look forward to returning to our recaps of season one next week. It'll be exciting. We're past the winter season, I believe, uh, even though we're in the middle of winter. Or we're not even in winter quite yet in real life. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah and we'll be kind of revamping our structure, mm-hmm. as we said. So feel free to send us your thoughts. Um, and also, don't forget to send us gazebo moments Yes, to TalkingFastPodcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And follow us on Instagram at TalkingFastPodcast. All right. Let's talk about <laughs> Gilmore Girls again next week. <laughs> yeah, same time next week.